Man, y'all know the face, y'all know the name. You're tuning into the world's greatest podcast. No, I'm just saying because it, it sounds cool when I say it. No, I'm just saying say it because when I put it on a shirt, I'm gonna sell out billions. I say it because it's actual, factual. I really believe it. you're tuning into the world's greatest podcast, Talk H E podcast, hosted by yours truly, Mr. It's a Movie, Cletus Real Talk. And I got a special guest with me, special guest. And as everyone knows who have tuned into my podcast, I do not introduce my guests. I feel like it shortchanges them. So, guests, please introduce yourself. Reginald Owens. <laughs> That's it. Uh, retired um, department chair at Louisiana Tech University. Mm-hmm. Forty plus years academic uh, working, uh, teaching, and administering. Um, and that's basically, in short term, that's what it is. So that's who you are, what you do, or because I that's always, what I did. That's, that's what you where did. I am now. So, but who are you though? That's a different question. I am who I am. Okay. <laughs> you somebody's brother's keeper or something? <laughs> what does that mean? Um, you got to be more specific when you ask me that. History buff. Yeah, historian. Yeah, you are a a, a history scholar that focused yeah, I mean, on. I'm so many different things. I don't know from what level you're coming from when you say who are who am I? You know. Mm-hmm. Now I feel that we can get in depth. I'm trying. I'm trying to be mindful because y'all, y'all, y'all still got to catch our flight now. And uh, Miss Peters, are you gonna introduce yourself or you got to break the rules and be the only person I've ever introduced on my podcast? <laughs> ever, a hundred and plus episodes. You're the only person I've ever had to introduce. That's Miss Peters, Miss Wanda Peters. If y'all know, y'all know she's there. Um, okay. Okay. So you've done a lot of great things. You've done a lot of great things in your life. Oh yeah. What is the, what, what would you say is your proudest moment? That's hard to say. What about at 28? At 28, what would you say was your biggest accomplishment at 28? I hadn't done anything. <laughs> really? No, I'll take that back. Uh, probably getting a master's degree at uh, in advertising at the University of Illinois, mm-hmm. which at the time was, you know, either the top one or one of the top schools in that area mm-hmm. of, you know, of uh, advertising and advertising management. Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall, um, uh, I would say maybe having been asked to do the commencement address at my alma mater, mm-hmm. Louisiana Tech University. Mm-hmm. And there have been a lot of other things before that, uh, probably... When um, um, I was uh, awarded the F.J. Taylor Endowed Chair mm-hmm. of Journalism at my university, um, maybe the uh, are you Thomas humble bragging Ford, at this point? Huh? Are you humble bragging at this point? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just curious because I'm like. 
it's like I know you think because it's not because the the the, the, the the screws ain't cranking. It's that I feel like you've done so much, and I don't think you've ever given yourself that much credit. Well, but you, you're probably right, and you know, but that's just you know, that's just how you do. I mean, that's just how I do stuff. You know, I don't just come out and and rattle off things that I've done because I've done a lot of things. Well, and, we, and mm -hmm. for a better conversation with me, it would be good for you to look at what I've done and say, okay. I mean, you've done a lot. Like, I, I know what I know. So for me, like with this podcast and this platform, what I, I try to do is allow people to really just showcase who they are and their most unapologetic self. Because I feel like, especially when it comes to our elders, our elders, I felt like they were conditioned a different type of way than us. Like for us, we have to self-promote. Because if we don't, we can legit get caught up in the mix of all the information being thrown out to the world. Of course, yeah. Whereas with you all, you kind of don't have to because the folks that really experienced you all and what you all did really understand what it meant. And for a lot of you all, it's kind of traumatic. So folks don't even really like to talk about it. But for us, it's kind of like I have to wear my stripes because if I do not wear my stripes, people really will not understand the gravity of what we in our generation go through because of yeah, all of the nothing. resources, the amount of information, data, um, and opportunities. It's, uh, opportunity, and, and it's not like we are getting holes in the streets, but <laughs> everywhere well, but, else you know, we're getting crap. You know, you put it in, in that sense. Um, I, I, I came into adulthood during the, the late 60s. So... After World War II? Well, after World War II. Mm -hmm. I would say during Vietnam War. Okay. So I, I came into adulthood during that period and uh, broke down a lot of racial barriers in terms of jobs and school and positions and all that kind of stuff. What was so, thing? Go ahead. You know, because when I look back on my early career, um, most of the time I was the only black in a position. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, you could say the first black this, the first black that, and all that, and that has happened to me in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, it, it, you know, to say that it sounds very. Uh, Do you feel like there's like a double, you know, um, a, like I wouldn't even say like a, a, it's like a double meaning to it because like in one sense it's like, yeah, you know, we were the first to break down that barrier, but the other sense like, well, yeah, we were the first, and at that time, we were the only, and at that time, it was a lot to be the one and only well, yeah, in that of space. Of course, of course, you know. Um, it was a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> they go, it's like you, you're still in the field, but in a different kind of field. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was a lot of work because you had to, I mean, you had to fit your way into a situation. So you say you had a shocking job? I had to do what? Oh, okay. I was just curious. So you say you had to fit your way into a situation. When I'm thinking fitting, you know, with them white folk, that sometimes that looked like just... You know, Tom, Dick, and Harry that live in Long Island who who come from a certain amount of money, privilege, uh, and also I mean, have complexion protection. Um, also, you know, so when you... That's why I'm asking, like, I'm a dark-skinned man. You're a dark-skinned man. 
So how do you fit in in the spaces at well, that time I mean, when you're the only? Just to understand what the politics are, just to understand what the social nuances are. The, mm-hmm. the opposite of Shuck and Jack. The opposite of Shuck and Jack. It's yeah, like a cohort mission. Figure out, you have to figure out how to... You have to figure out to go into this situation to do what you need to do to do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and it's a lot of work in the sense that they don't understand what you're going through. And, uh, you know, you're out there by yourself. And I didn't understand that until, I didn't truly understand that until I went to work at uh, Texas Southern University. Can we please talk about that? I'm glad you brought that up because you didn't even mention it at first. And I'm like, why did you not say that first? Like, you're the founding faculty. I mean, I've been of the I've communication school it, I've, there. I've taught it many places. So, I mean, where do you start? Well, we're, we're talking about founding faculty, though. Like, there is no Texas Southern communication, anything, if not for you all. Well, I wouldn't say that necessarily. But we were... Howard University had the first school of communication and an HBCU in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was prior to that, that was the Kathy Hughes school, but it was prior to Kathy Hughes. It was the brother who had that. Who, uh, what? It, it, the, 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 the school was named after a brother who also taught there, and he had his own television platform. He spoke to like Muhammad Ali. I forgot his name, and I, I, I'm, I apologize. I'm one of those people. I, re, I know names and faces, but um. Yeah, this brother had his own show. He had an afro glasses, light skin oh, guy. Oh, no, no, no. That wasn't... Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think. No, he... I think that's the brother who established... I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, he established uh, Howard's communication school. Uh, he was the first... I think that he was the first dean in the department. Lionel... I don't think it was... I, 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 like I said, I, could, I got Google. That's the difference well, between no, us and y'all. Tony. Huh? Yep, Tony Brown. Tony Brown. Tony Brown. I, I think... Yeah, and he had Tony Brown's cabin or something like that. Tony Brown's something. He had his own little show. I, I remember Tony Brown, but I think, and here I am on the spot here. That's fine. This is talking chief. It's a safe place. Yeah. Um, you could curse on here too, by the way. There was another guy. Uh, I'm trying to remember his name. And the reason... Um, there was somebody before Tony Brown, I believe. Mm-hmm. I, I, I believe. You know, if I had known that question was going to come up, I would have. Oh no, nah, this is this is just this is just we just we just here. This is uh yeah. This is uh, this is like a phone call that I'll call at a random time just to see where you. You know, at. because the interesting thing about this this other guy is that um, he got his master's degree from the University of Illinois, where I got mine, mm-hmm. and that's how we kind of. Got connected. Yeah. And that was and, and, and advertising for black people back in the early seventies and late sixties. That was a big deal. I mean that was a big deal. Cause you basically changed the narrative of how black people were being portrayed. Um and, well, and as well that, as like our that, consumer that, behavior. That became that became part of my mission. Wow. That became part of my mission. And it wasn't something that uh uh, and, and, and that was a hard part too mm-hmm. because, because you're having to make to make white people understand you know this is not you know this is not the real deal the cultural nuances of the blackness the cultural nuances of blackness 
And, and, and unfortunately, in our field of study, there was a guy named Henry Allen Bullock, mm -hmm. who was a sociology, a black sociology PhD, who at the time taught at, I believe, the University of Texas in sociology. Mm -hmm. And he did a, a seminal paper on motivations in black and white. Hmm. Okay. And basically what that, the conclusion he came to was that black people and white people basically have the same motivations. Which and, is what? Well, that's... That was his conclusion. I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. That's where my argument came in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Part of me." So you said we, we we got the same motivation, which which is what? How we both um, motivated the same it, thing? It, it Capitalism. What you call the motivations? Oh, okay, that's a great point. Yeah, and 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 um, basically, what they were looking at were the you know when you get to, down to Maslow's five hierarchy of uh, needs, yeah, five hierarchy of needs. Of course, we all got that. But in terms of the field of marketing mm -hmm. and advertising, there's an economic component to that that people well, have to talk I mean, about. Well, I mean, that's part of it, but there's a cultural component. <laughs> yeah, that's the main part. It's the cultural component. We don't have the same motivations. Mm -hmm. And I started out banging my head up against the wall trying to prove that. You know, through throughout most of my. Uh, graduate schooling. So you, you went to University of Illinois, right? And you are a black man pursuing, and that was your master's, not your PhD. That was my master's. Was your, where did you go get your PhD? University of Texas. Austin? Or? Austin. Oh, you went to UTA? I didn't know that. Yeah. You know what's crazy? I actually was interested in looking at UTA for a long time. No, it's a, hey, it's a damn good school. No, it's, it's, a, it's always top three. UTA, you know, USC, um, and then they try to throw an Ivy in there, like a UPenn or a Columbia, but it's usually like UTA, USC. Then they'll well, well, see, Columbia is good for, for journalism. journalism. Yeah, but and, they and do. They all have their little, especially because they got the they they, they have a legacy. Niches. Yeah, they have the legacy with Pulitzer. Mm -hmm. So Pulitzer was their guy, and he graduated from there, and also he put a lot of money into the university. So that's why they named the Columbia. I'm not sure he graduated from there. I think Pulitzer went there. He he owned uh, the New York. Uh, Times? No, 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 no. Not the Washington Post. No, no, no. It, it, it was the New York paper. Because Not the New Yorker? And, he and Hearst uh, and so became might, rivals. So that might have been the Post. No, I, I don't. I, I don't. Again, I, yeah, I'm yeah, talking yeah. about stuff unless I. Oh no, we like listen. I think the beauty of what while we're speaking is because, for you, you're an expert in the fields that you are an expert in. I'm an emerging expert. Um, I've I'm I'm doing what it takes to get to the next level. Obviously, my goal is to be able to one day, you know, sit with giants like you, mm. and continue to have conversations like this, and do them in in nice lavish places in Harlem with my beard looking the way it does and my sweatsuit. Mm -hmm. Like that's my goal. This is this is what heaven looks like to me. 
doing what I want, when I want, how I want, having conversations with people who actually make, that actually matter, that actually make things happen, that actually have dedicated their lives passionately for serving others with the hopes that culture changes. And I feel like you don't give yourself enough credit for that. I understand, you know, you're, you're an older gentleman. You're not old, old, but you're pretty old, you know. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I, I hear what you're saying. Uh-huh. And, and you're probably right, but, and I am old. You ain't old, old. But whatever old I am, I'm old. <laughs> you're an elder. You're not old. You have a young man spirit. Um, but, um, you know, that's just how you do stuff. You know what I mean? That's just how I do stuff. And and my point I was going to make was I've always believed in letting my work speak for itself. Do you think that also comes from the conditions that you were raised in and also being from the South? Of course. I mean. Because the quorum looks different everywhere. Yeah, of course. I mean, you I mean, you are a product from where you from which you come. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and, th and then it could also, you know, let me just back up to give you a little background. Yes, sir. Um, I did my undergraduate work at Louisiana Tech University mm -hmm. where I was uh, a founding member of the first black group on campus that we had to organize. Uh, one the of the founders group? of the first black fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha, on campus. Mm -hmm. So we came there in the 60s, in the late 60s. We had to create, black students had to create their, our institutions. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, that's where I came from. And later on in life, I met a black guy. As a matter of fact, I was teaching at Gremlin at the time. Mm -hmm. And he was teaching at Gremlin at the time. And he went to Louisiana Tech with me. And you know what he said to me? What did he say? He met me in the hall, Dr. Cunningham. He met me in the hall. And he said, Reggie, you know what? I, I admired you when we were in school. And the reason I admired you was because you told, you stood up to white people. Mm -hmm. I said, stood up to white people? <laughs> <laughs> like, what, what does that look like? What does that mean? Right. So in other words, you know, this is a guy who was raised in the South. I was raised in the South. Mm -hmm. He was raised in one of these small towns in the South, where you didn't have much black autonomy. Mm -hmm. I was raised in Gramlin, Louisiana. Where everybody's somebody. Everybody black. The sheriff is black. The Not the sheriff, but the, the police are black. The mayor is black. City council is black. You know, these are black people. You, you know, and so you just go around. Being black. Being black and living, you know what I mean? You, you're not kowtowing to anybody, not there. But what was Gremlin like for you and Rustin? Because I always there's a very interesting dynamic between Rustin and Gremlin in terms of, like, I think they said that, and they, I could be wrong. Uh, you need to explain what Rustin is to Gremlin. Yeah, because Rustin is the economic power, well, one of the main economic hubs of northern Louisiana. 
No, of the Lincoln Parish. Of Lincoln Parish. Oh, yeah, y'all got parishes out there. I forgot. Yeah. Y'all got boroughs. Lincoln Parish, right? And then also, if like, like I said, I could be wrong. But I was told that Grambling has, I think, the most millionaires per capita. Ruston has the Ruston, most. Ruston, Ruston, I'm sorry. Look at me. Ruston has, has the, the most millionaires per capita in the, in the state of Louisiana. Okay. And you go, you go from the most billionaires, millionaires, to now going to Grambling that is probably one of the more poor no economic no, no? That's you want to say that number it's a misnomer tell and, me more and that's the strength you know what i mean because i, I the reason but, i but say black that, people in grambling quote unquote are not poor mm -hmm. you don't have a big big house you don't have a big black poor section uh, Grambling is pretty middle class. Mm -hmm. And then even when you get outside of in what I call the Greater Grambling Metro, uh, the Greater Grambling Countryplex, <laughs> 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 you know, where you got all these little communities around it, you know, those people are not doing too poorly. You know what I mean? Uh, Grambling became Grambling in terms of its population and the people who live there and all that stuff because <clears throat> you had a lot of black people I was saying about a, a 15 square mile area that own large tracts of land mm -hmm. I'm talking about a thousand acres I'm talking about 500 acres you know so you had a lot of these people, and this is one of the things that attracted other blacks to come there after Civil War. <clears throat> because if you know anything about Reconstruction, mm -hmm. that was the most terrible point in African-American history. So when you speak of Reconstruction, Reconstruction, you're not talking like Reaganomics and... No, no, no. I'm, I'm talking about... Reconstruction is that era right after the Civil War mm -hmm. where uh, the, uh, excuse me. No, you're good. Take your time. <coughs> Bless you. Excuse me. Right after the Civil War where the South lost the war. And so as a result of the South losing the war, the radical Republicans in Congress decided to punish the South. So they took away all of their political rights. Hmm. And uh, <clears throat> uh, they had to reapply to be citizens. I'm talking about the white Confederates. In the meantime, take your time, take your time. excuse me again. In the meantime, <clears throat> they sent what they call carpetbaggers. This is what the white folks in the South call them. Mm -hmm. carpetbaggers to come down and these are radical white republicans they coming down and <clears throat> of course the southern white vote has been taken away and then the vote has been given to the black man wow right and Gramlin was in the middle of all of this and so <clears throat> there were a lot of places you know you've heard of these towns in Kent, black cities in Kansas mm -hmm. Uh, Oklahoma, mm -hmm. uh, where blacks came to start towns because 
in the South, the white people were, you know, kicking their butts so bad, they had nowhere to go. I mean, it was just really, really, really bad. And so Grambling, like a lot of places in the West, in the Southwest, or in, in, in the Midwest, became like a safe haven for blacks from the Deep South. Hmm. Like my family migrated from South Carolina and Alabama, as far as I can tell. You know, we take the roots of where they from from then. Uh, and no, they weren't migrated. They, they, they came to North Louisiana as, as slaves, but that's where their origins were. So the, the, the point I'm making is that Gremlin became like a safe haven for uh, black people from all over the South. Hmm. And it's not just Grambling, it's a lot of towns like that. You know, you go back, you think of Prairie View, you think of Tuskegee, mm -hmm. uh, you think of Mount Bayou and Mississippi. You know, we just happen to be where we are and that's what happened. You know, um, so that creates an attitude of the people who live there. <laughs> No, I love it because I feel like it, it it was it was the first time, in my opinion, that I felt what community looked like and what family felt like at a college or university. Mm -hmm. Because when I when I like I said, my story is I started at University of Buffalo. Um, we were a lot. We were I think about that time like seven percent black at the university. Seven to not seven to eleven percent black. There was thirty five thousand people on campus. And I felt like at that time, like a lot of the black people were friends because it was transactional, not because we liked each other or not because we, we really wanted to be around each other. But when you're 11 percent and a good portion of those black people are commuter students, the other ones, the other portion of them are athletes. You kind of tend to, you know, fall within a space where you only you go where you, where you feel safe. And, and I don't want to say safe, but you go where you where, where things are familiar. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this. You know, there was a point I started making <clears throat> earlier where I said I didn't understand the real difference in a a black community until I went to work. I, I went to college at all white schools, and the first th three jobs I had in life were in white institutions. Mm -hmm. The third job, no, the first two I had, the third job I got in life was at Texas Southern University. And when I went to Texas Southern University, a little black community, within a black community, the attitude toward my access was totally different. And what do you mean by that? I further explain. You knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I didn't realize how isolated I was being at these white institutions. Wow. You know, I felt like, oh, I had my white friends and connections and whatever but I really found out what was going on when I went to this black institution you know because it was a real the communications networks were more authentic to me <laughs> mm -hmm. and that was that was an important difference for me to understand no without a doubt wow so when you said the communication networks it was more so that the way that we communicated I guess at 
at these HBCUs or these black spaces. Black spaces. It wasn't, it wasn't about HBCUs as much as it was about black spaces. Was it the, And you're saying it was the access to the information. Yes. Got that's it. That's so important. You know, information is what drives any society. Mm-hmm. And the more information you have, or the more authentic the information, you know. You can actually do something about it. Yeah, I mean, you... you the impacts are different. The impact is different, and, and you know, you have more control. Hmm. And I didn't understand that until I left white institutions and went to a black institution. And apparently I had forgotten my growing up in Grambling. Well, there wasn't even a question about communication and connection and who's in charge and, you know, who's doing what. But when you get into a situation where you have to depend on other people who don't have your interests in mind, particularly, not that they're trying to hurt you necessarily, but they just don't. <laughs> you know, you you know. So you guys just don't align. Bigger part. You just don't align. Yeah, like, it's just you, an align. You, you it's just a don't align. Yeah. You know, you don't. You know, and 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 I don't uh, necessarily blame them per se. But that's just how it is. So how did you take it being how it is to you applying that same information or utilizing that same information to apply it in a way that positioned you to do the things that you were able to do? I don't understand what you're trying to get to. Well, the question I'm basically asking is, knowing what you knew, how did, how did you use that information to position yourself to be successful because there's a whole other conversation that we're not having which is about academia right and what academia definitely looked like especially high level academia well looked like for you you. let me go back to your understanding as a human being Mm -hmm. how to get things done survival grew up survival survival i grew up in gramlin louisiana of all black town, you know, you know, with educated people. Um, they weren't necessarily the smartest people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> they still country folk now. They still country folk now. No, but no, uh, you know, no. See, see, that's see, that's the, uh, that's the. Uh, 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 the northern stereotype that 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 I combat. Yeah, we are country folks, but uh, we know how to get things done. And then I then I, I when I was working at Graham and you know these kids come here from Chicago and California, California. got a whole lot of and LA said, people. No, where are you from? California. I'm from Duh. L.A., yeah. Yeah. They, they, no, they say California. <laughs> what part of California? Some podunk town outside of L.A. That's a no, fact. I wouldn't say podunk, but... No, nah, it's the real. It's the real. They talking about... Or... I No, they're like, I'm from... They'll be like, I'm from L.A. And you're like, where? Where in L.A. are you from? They're like, I'm from I.E. We're like, you from I.E.? That's not L.A. But hey, who am I? I just mind my business. Yeah, but, but, but anyway, you know, you get these people to come there and they start talking about all oh, these country folks here in Gramlin. 
and then I say to them, <laughs> they're smart enough to get you here. Mm -hmm. They're smart enough to get you here to, buy, to spend your money. <laughs> you know, that's what, you know, and, 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 and that's one of the problems that I find with black people. We, we uh, try to have, we end up having this one upsmanship on each other. You know, I will never forget, um, they used to have, I think they still do, the uh, Whitney Young classic here in New York City. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was dealing with some of my students back when I worked at Grammy. <clears throat> and then one of my students who's from Dallas, and uh, there was this one girl in our program who was from Brooklyn. And they came up to uh, to the game because, you know, they were working with the newspaper, so we paid their way to come up to the game. And the guy from Dallas was telling me about this one girl who they went to that house in Brooklyn. And Dr. Owens, man, you should see how these folks are living. They come down here talking about how good things are in New York City and Los Angeles. Oh yeah, we about to be over. But yeah, no. You know, and I'm thinking, you know, he he making a point. They they up here living in, like they're living, and then they come down there and start talking about you country folks. <laughs> what I've learned, uh, being one of the people from from New York City, going to Grandma, I think what it is, with New York City is, I think the opportunities are endless here. Like you could live in a box, but for most part, you're just really laying your head there for, you know, because the New York City is. Your backyard, it's your playground. Like, I don't have to wait on someone to give me a ride somewhere if I don't have a car. Uber, Lyft, take take a subway, take a train, take a bus. Even the buses that in other places will take an hour to come, every seven to ten minutes, you're on your way. So I understand exactly what folks are talking about, especially in the country. Y'all got land. It's quiet. Y'all got driveways and stuff. Parking is never an issue. You know, seven, eight, ten people could live in the house, you know. But then it's like, all right, what happens when you leave the house? Ain't nothing to do. <laughs> you can't go nowhere. But I, like I said, from the educational educational standpoint, I think both are very needed in the well, spaces. it depends on what you want to do. Yeah, true. And you, what you want to do is based on, you know, what you're used to doing. So, you know, it's not a... I wouldn't put any qualitative things on what people are doing because, you know, from where I come from, I would not, I'd love to come to New York City, but I wouldn't want to live here. Mm -hmm. Now, trust me, I don't even want to live here no more. I'm from here. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd love to visit New Orleans. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to live in New Orleans either. I'll I, eat the oysters, I though. I want to live there. Yeah, that's real. And, and there are some big cities which I wouldn't mind living in, like I've lived in Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, I mean, only once I would live in is Houston, maybe DC, but not so much DC, like the outskirts of DC. Like I, like I stayed in Hyattsville for a while, um, Langley Park area. I loved it, but um, yeah, for me, after that, it's really not the greatest experiences in a lot of the places. But um, for for I just like I said, the reason why we had this conversation, I know it wasn't planned. It's usually not planned with me anyway. But I just wanted to make sure that I could commemorate you and, and celebrate you and welcome you to New York and let you know how much I appreciate you, how much I respect you, how much I appreciate your guidance, your mentorship, your friendship, 
the conversations, you taking your time out to make sure that I'm positioning myself to be a scholar, a young professional, a black man, you know, and I, I appreciate you just paving the way because, like I said, I'm a Nigerian man, right? I'm a black man in America. I'm also of Nigerian heritage. So there's a dichotomy to how I operate and how I think and, and all that stuff. But one thing that I, I feel is consistent amongst both cultures, making sure you pay your respects to the people who positioned you to do the things that you do because you don't stand on your own shoulders to get here. Mm-hmm. So that's that's basically what this was. This episode was about. You know, we had a nice meal, you know, and um, and like I said, I just wanted to let you know I appreciate you and I celebrate you. And um, if there's one thing that you want people to remember you for, what would you say it would be? To get the kind of accolades that you just gave me. That's real. That's real. All right. That's pretty good. All right. Well, you got to catch a flight and you got to get to JFK and this construction. So we got to get you out of here. Um, but yeah, if people wanted to contact you, see what you're doing, you're a retired man. You just came back from Spain. You know, you got Miss Peters got the Putacana shirt on. I don't know where I'm going to see you guys again next time because y'all be traveling more than I do and I'd be outside. So it's like, <laughs> what's next for Dr. Owens? I don't know. I don't know. But you're living and you're thriving and it looks good on you, sir. You're growing backwards every day. Every time I talk to you, sharper, sharper, sharper. So I just want to make sure you know that I appreciate you. Thank you. you. All right, cool. So like I said, y'all tuned into the World's Greatest Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Mr. The Movie Clears Real Talk. Thank you, Dr. Owen and Ms. Peters, for her very minimal uh, cameo. And like I said, y'all know the slogan is you you tune in talking cheap and it's not that deep. It's a vibe.